Go to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. By the way, I want to give a huge shout out and a huge welcome to everyone that's joining us on our live stream right now. Come on, Zoe. Can we clap right now and welcome everybody joining us in the live stream? We don't know where you're joining us, but thank you. We are live right now in Los Angeles, the greatest city in the world. And uh, I think last week we had 46 different countries join in. And so wherever you're from, we are welcoming you, but we are saying, please get on an airplane and come visit live and in person. We will take you to Disneyland, buy you a churro in the name of Jesus, and have a fantastic time. Come on, let's clap one more time for our live stream. We love you so much. Thank you for joining us tonight. Okay, this is, um, this is really a special part of Scripture. So if you don't know much about the Bible, there's a guy that wrote a lot of the Bible that was once anti-God, anti-Christianity, anti-Jesus. This guy was so anti-God that he didn't just hate church, he killed Christians. One time he's on a mission trip, not to do good, but to do evil. He's on a mission trip to go kill some Christians, and God gets a hold of his life. Just a reminder, there is nobody in your world that is too far gone that cannot be touched by the grace of Jesus. Come on, clap if you believe. Come on, the grace of God can touch anybody, anywhere, at any time. Don't make me start preaching. So Paul goes from being like so radical against God, but one moment he becomes radical for God. Remember, it's only one moment with Jesus that will change you forever. So he gets on fire for God, starts becoming a church builder, and God called him to be an apostle. Now, if you don't know what that means, an apostle is someone that has the ability, it's God-given, they can go into a city, start a church, raise up leaders, and go do it time and time again in different cities. Paul had that gift from God. He would do this in Rome, Colos, Philippi, Thessalonica. He would do this all over. He'd start churches. Well, one of the guys that rolled with him for 13, 14 years, theologians believe, he's a young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy rolled with him and learned from him and just kind of was in the wake and the shadow of learning from the Apostle Paul. Eventually, Paul would commission and let Timothy go out and do his own ministry. But nevertheless, Paul loved this guy. He had a passion for this guy. They traveled together. They ministered together. They had coffee together. They were friends together. So, so Paul loves Timothy. Watch what Paul says in his first letter to Timothy. Watch what he says here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. I love that part so much. My true son in the faith. This is, he's writing to not a fake son, he's writing to a true son. Not a fake one. I said fake one this morning at the valley. Some, some lady was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> I was like, classic Zoe response, we hate the fake. Anybody here, you, ha you, you ever have a knockoff? Don't you lie in church. Come on, you ever have a knockoff? Let me see your hand. One time, one time somebody gave me a Rolex. 
And so my value is if somebody gives you a Rolex, you freak out at Rolex level. It's my first time getting a Rolex. So I freaked out. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. So I started rolling around like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> then I was hanging at somebody's house, and my friend was like, hey, so you, you got a fake Rolex. And I was like, nah, mm-mm. My friend gave me this one. He's like, oh, it's a fake one. I'll tell you three reasons why. Pop, pop, pop. And I was like, oh, my friendship just ended. <laughs> that friendship is done. He is saying, Timothy, you are a true son in the faith. How does he know the difference? Because he's had some fake ones. Some ones have abandoned him. Some have hurt him. Some have betrayed him. Some have left him. But here's 13, 14, 15 years into faithful, loyal relationship. He says, Timothy, you're a true son in the faith. You're a true son. And here's my prayer. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you, can, you, can, you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations. He's talking to Clipper fans right there. Rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of this is love. Remember, Zoe, our goal is love. We are called to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's, he's saying, I'm writing this letter to up the ante on the purity of your heart, you having a good conscience and having a sincere faith. I really, want you to have, I really want you to have a pure heart. The motive of your heart is good. Your conscience. Anybody here, you've ever had a guilty conscience before? Oh, don't act so holy. Look at you like, no, I don't understand. No, you, <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> I didn't want a reminder. You acted dumb. Guilty conscience. That's like most of middle school and high school for me, guilty conscience. My mom would be like, where have you been? I'm like, oh, where have you been? <laughs> guilty conscience, okay? So, so he said, I want you to have a good, why is he concerned about our conscience? Because the Bible says if our, con our conscience condemns us, we have no confidence before God. We've got to get our conscience clean and our heart pure and our faith sincere for us to step into what God has for us. Come on, Zoe. Clap like you believe it tonight. God is saying something in First and Second Timothy that we as a church needs to hear. Now, now, out of all the books of the Bible, we could be choosing all kinds of different, 66 different books. God wanted Zoe to land on First and Second Timothy for the next four Sundays, in the next, every, every day for the next four weeks, so we can receive the same thing that Paul was trying to say to young Timothy. He was probably in his 30s. The same thing that Paul was trying to say to this young leader, God is trying to say to this young church. There are things that we need for our conscience, the purity of our heart, and the sincerity of our faith for us to walk in our God-given potential. I want to preach a message tonight right down the title. It's called, This is Important. This is important. If you need Spanish translation, este es muy importante. 
Gracias. Gloria a Dios. Espíritu Santo. Guacamole. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I'm kidding. Let, let, let's pray and let's believe that God will come and speak to us this evening. Jesus, we thank you that you are so amazing. Thank you that you are good, kind, loving, and full of grace. Tonight, we receive your words. We thank you that you are for us and not against us. We are believing that in the same way you spoke to young Timothy, will you speak to young Zoe? Will you show us the path and the way to walk? We want to receive these words as a community. We thank you that you are who you say you are, and you can do what you said you would do. Thank you for this new location, Bancroft. We cannot wait to see what you do in this place and through this place. We love you. And we thank you that this year the Dodgers will win the World Series and the Lakers will win the NBA championship. Lord, we thank you that the Rams will go back to the, to the NFC championship, lose to the Seahawks, but the Seahawks will win the Super Bowl. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together. Come on, clap if you agree with it. Go Seahawks. All right, write down number one. I'm going to jump into four things tonight. Write down number one. This is why I value my spiritual family. I want to pull out. Four truths in the first three chapters. Four truths that I love. The first thing that I love so much is this is why, what Paul's saying here, this is why I value my spiritual family. He says, Timothy, you are a true son in the faith. I want to remind you that you have a spiritual family. When we invite you to Zoe, we're not inviting you to a location, and we're not inviting you to a service. We're inviting you to be a part of the family of God. And we've got family all over the world. We've got family in Asia. We've got family in Africa. We've got family in Latin America. And we've got family right here in Los Angeles. You are a part of the family of God. There is something about spiritual DNA. There is something about spiritual family. You and I have a spirit. And spiritual family is different than physical family. Let me just tell you this, your, your, your uncle is your uncle. Your cousin, it is what it is. That's your cousin. Your grandmama is your grandmama, and your daddy, that's just, that's just the way it is. That's your dad. But when it comes to spiritual family, you have a choice. You can choose. And so if you don't want to be a part of Zoe family, that's all right. Find a local church that teaches the Bible, is in love with Jesus, and is going to love you into the future and the calling of your life. But as for here, this is a spiritual family. And what does family do? Family fights for each other. Family steps up when it needs to step up. Family is there in the worst of times. Family believes the best in your future. If you're going to be a part of this family, I want you to save the drama for your mama. We're not going to be a dysfunctional family. You ever see a family and you're like, ooh, it would be hard to be in that family. I wonder sometimes if people walk into churches and they see the dynamics and they see the drama and they see the positioning and they see the politics and they're like, no, nah, I'm good. That does not seem like a family I want to be a part of. May Zoe Church be a family that our sons and our daughters can flourish because of the healthy environment that we have created. Come on, we're a grace family. We're a love family. We're a celebration family. Come on, we're a joy family. We're a laughter family. Come on, make some noise if you value spiritual family. You're my son. You're my, you're my son in the faith. Why? God does this. God has this ability of taking lonely people and putting them in families. 
Psalm 68, watch what the Bible says. It says, God sets the lonely in families. The reason why some of you, God has brought you to Zoe, is he didn't want to put you in Zoe. He wanted to put you into a family. Because the most dangerous place you could ever be is off on your own. And nobody knows where you are. Nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody knows what you're up to. And nobody knows where you're going. But when you're a part of a family, we, listen, you, you're on to find my friends. We know where you're at. We know where you're going. We know what's up with you. We know if you're doing good or bad. You need to be a part of a spiritual family. I love this about God. He is saying to Timothy, you are a true son in the faith. I have faith that our Zoe kids, that the kids at Zoe kids, they're going to go further than we ever imagined. They're going to do greater than we ever dreamed. That our sons and daughters in the faith at Zoe church our ceiling will be their floor. God never thinks in terms of one generation. We serve a generational God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why the scriptures say that we shall declare his one generation, shall declare his works to the next generation. Why is Paul writing to this young protege? Because he has faith for the next generation. You're going to do better, Timothy. You're going to do greater, Timothy. I believe in you, Timothy. You're going to do more than I could ever dream. Come on, somebody thank God. There's something about spiritual family. The last time I checked, family does not have just one age demographic. Family is not filled with 25-year-olds. Family's got the, you know, the older people are there and the little babies are running around. And to me, that is what heaven looks like. Heaven is this beautiful portrait of generations. My true son in the faith. I hope that you start to respect and admire the spiritual family you're a part of. And if you can't get down with the spiritual family that you are in, you need to find a family that you could be right or die with. You need to find a family and say, this is my family and I'm rolling with these people. Come on, clap if you agree tonight. There is something about spiritual family. <laughs> right down number two, I love this. This is where it all started. Second thing that... Paul says to Timothy that I love, he says, this is where it all starts. In fact, just read these verses with me. Watch what he says here. It says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He, he's trying to get Timothy to understand. Hey, 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 Tim, this is a great saying, man. I know you know a lot of sayings, but try, try this one on. Here's a great saying. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Here's the punchline. And I'm the worst. He is trying to put into young Timothy the spirit of humility and the spirit of gratitude. He's trying to let Timothy know, hey, 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 just because you go to church and just because you know some scriptures and you got the hill songs on your playlist, don't make you better than anybody else. Christ Jesus came for sinners and we are the worst of them. In other words, he's saying, we drinking the Kool-Aid. We smoking what we selling. Oh, come on, some of you agree with that right now. We, we are consumers of the product. We don't just preach the gospel. We need the gospel. We don't just tell people about Jesus. We're in love with Jesus. Come on, somebody thank him tonight. I'm thankful that Christ came for sinners, and I'm actually the worst one. He's saying, Timothy, don't ever get self-righteous. 
Don't ever judge somebody. Look at their life. Look at what they've done. Look at where they've been. No, 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 no. The more you understand about grace, the more you don't understand grace. How could you know me and love me? How could you know the deepest, darkest secrets of my life and still favor me? Why do you still bless me when I'm not blessable? Why do you still wrap your arms around me? Why do you keep seeking me when I keep wandering? Why when every time I break my vow, you still show up? Why are you so faithful? Why are you so... Christ Jesus came to save sinners. I think I'm the worst one. How, how is it that you could, you could be so bad and, and, and God be so good? He does not reveal himself, by the way, to the perfect ones. There are no perfect Christians. Anybody that you ever get around, you're like, wow, they're so holy. They're not that holy. They ain't, they ain't that holy. They, they presented themselves holy. But all of us are sinners. Sinners saved by grace. I love Luke 16. Watch what it says about Jesus. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know that we serve the God that has the power not only to seek, but he can also save. He's not just a seeking God. He is a saving God. He doesn't just seek people and get next to them and be like, oh, I wish I had the power to bring you home and to get you right and deliver you from addiction. No, no, God can seek you and he will save you. By his outstretched arm, he will come and bring you back to your right state of mind, to the place of your calling, to the place of purity. Is there anybody thankful tonight? Here is a faithful saying, Christ Jesus came for sinners and I am the worst. He's trying to get it as a saying. He's like, Tim, I know you know all these sayings and all these cultural sayings. Here's a good one. Try Put this one out on Twitterville. What, 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 let me just give you a few sayings and tell me if you've ever heard this saying. If you know this saying, fill in the blank or finish it for me. Uh, what about this one? An apple a day keeps the... What about necessity is the mother of... Four smart people here tonight. I love you guys. It ain't over until the... You guys are mean. The devil is in the well, a picture is worth a people that live in glass houses shouldn't throw better late than two wrongs don't make a when the going gets tough, the tough get we he's saying he's saying, hey, hey Tim, here's a great saying. Here's a good here's a good saying. Use this one. Christ Jesus came for sinners. And Tim's like, so you want me to like tell everybody that? <laughs> like, we're the worst or you're the worst? <laughs> He's like, no, just make it a saying. You know, just put it out there. Christ Jesus came for sinners, and I'm the worst. You know, I hope at Zoe that we never, as we graduate and become older, we're only four years old right now, I hope that down the road we don't go like, yeah, man, we used to talk about grace and Jesus, but we're on to the meat of the word. The meat of the word. We're not coming to the old country buffet. It doesn't get any better than Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's all grace. Right, right down number three. This is how I fight my battles. Oh man, I wish I could sing. I start singing right now. I'd sing it like Michael W. Smith. This is how I fight my battles. 
Come on, Ted. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Watch what he says here in verse 18 of Timothy. I love this truth. This charge I commit to you, son, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, that is a lot of biblical terms that maybe not everybody in the room understands. So let me read it in another translation in layman terms. Watch what he says here, really. Come on, go to the next one. So, Timothy, my son, I am entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. With this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. He is saying, Timothy, people spoke words over you. Timothy's going to be a great husband one day. Timothy, you're a leader. Timothy, you're going to be a great uh, father. Timothy, you're going to be used by God. People spoke over you. He said, Timothy, take those words and use those words as weapons. Let me remind you, Zoe, your words are weapons. And you're going to either use your words as weapons of destruction or weapons of destiny. You're going to use your mouth to destroy people or you're going to use your mouth to help people. But I'll tell you, the Bible says the power of life and death are in the tongue. So you're either using your words to help or hurt. I don't know about you, but I want to use my words as a weapon to fight this battle. Some of you, the reason why you're exhausted is you're fighting the wrong fight. You keep fighting against people. Your fight is not against, it's not your neighbor. It's not your boyfriend. It's not your boss. Your fight is against something bigger than them. Watch what it says in Ephesians 6. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You're fighting the wrong fight. He's saying the only way you're going to win, Timothy, it's going to get dark. Timothy, just a heads up, you're going to have some lonely nights. You're going to have some discouraging moments. You're going to have some low days. Timothy, use these words that were spoken over you to fight. I am called. I am chosen. I am loved. I am blessed. I am the head. I'm not the tail. I'm more than a conqueror. Come on, somebody thank God right now. I'm going to use the words that God spoke over my life to declare I'm not what the enemy or my circumstance says I am. Give him a praise tonight. Some of you, the the reason why life gets so hard is because you have hard times and hard days and you just receive the hurtful words. Why is it that when you are low and you are discouraged, why do you go looking for other material to make you more low and more discouraged? You feel bad about yourself and somebody says something about you and you go like, yeah, and then three years ago this person said this and four years ago so-and-so said and then just... If, if words are weapons, don't you think the enemy knows that? This last week I was talking to somebody and, and I hope we didn't break none. And um, brand new, we're breaking stuff. 
and, and, and this journalist, this journalist just wrote something, you know, really salacious, really, you know, just not true, really mean spirited and used the words to destroy a friend and, and really affected this person. Really. I mean, just, you know, when the word sticks, you ever have somebody say something about you and it sticks to you and you can't shake it and just sticky. And I think, what are you going to do when that stick happens? Because he's trying to warn Timothy, hey, just, hey, hey, bud, I love you, but it's not always easy. And you're going to have to fight. Why is he using words like wage war? Because we're in a battle, huh? And you're in a battle for your future. You're in a battle for your calling. And if you don't fight the right fight and fight it the right way, you're going to lose. And you'll lose what? You'll lose friends. You'll lose calling. You'll lose future. What will you forfeit? Because he says here, don't you, don't you worry. Use these words as weapons, son. How will you overcome the attack on your home and the attack on your mind? The Bible says in Revelation, put it up on the screen, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of Jesus and by the word of their testimony. In other words, you're going to have to learn how to talk trash against the devil. You're going to have to learn how to call him what he is. You're a punk. You're a liar. You're defeated. I am not what you say I am. I am not who I used to be. That was one night in Vegas. That was a low season in my life. But I've been cleansed. And my conscience is good. And my heart is pure. And my faith is sincere. Somebody praise him tonight. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Use these words as weapons. Write down the last one. Number four is the last thing I want to encourage you. We'll read it all throughout the week, Zoe, but write down this last one. This is how and why we do church. This is how and why we do church. How and why. How, emphasis on how, and then he's going to tell us why. Watch this truth right here. This is the last part, chapter 3. Put it up on the screen. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but I'm flying jet blue, so you never know, okay? But if I'm delayed, southwest, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Hold on, just make sure we all understand. I write to you so you know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is what? The church of the living God. Oh God, I'm going to yell again. This is my favorite part. <laughs> the pillar and the ground of truth. Right. Oh. God is asking us to study these two books. God has called us to First and Second Timothy, I think maybe for this truth right here. That you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the pillar of truth. What, what, what Paul is essentially saying is, hey man, I want to make sure I tell you how to do life really well, because if you don't, people are going to look at the church and go, church? Those are hypocrites. Church, scandalous. Church, those are two-faced. Church, they said they were my family and never showed up at the hospital. 
church. I got no time for church. No, and we will exchange the pillar of truth for a mockery. He's saying, I'm going to teach you the how of how to conduct yourself and the why. Because in Los Angeles, the church should be a beacon of hope. It should be a beacon of light. It should be trustworthy. That when people go through hard stuff, they say, I got to get to church. I got to get to church. I need to hear the truth. I'll never forget, I read this book years ago called What's So Amazing About Grace. And this author, Max Lucado, tells this amazing, Philip Yancey, sorry, he told this amazing story about this lady who got hooked on drugs and she became a prostitute. And she got into a really hard season of her life. And so she's telling this pastor and this author about all this hard time of his life. And he interrupts this lady. He's like, hold on, I just got to ask one thing real fast. I know this is hard, but I just got to ask one thing. In all this time, did you ever think about coming to church? She goes, Church? Why would I go to church? I already felt terrible about myself. We will not be a pillar of truth until we conduct ourselves in the right way. It is our, come on, our actions speak louder than our words. Come on, Zoe. I don't know about you, but I want to be a beacon of light. I want to be a belt of truth. I want to be a person that stands for truth and righteousness in an era and a culture that needs the love of Jesus Christ. I feel like God is trying to get our attention and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to tell you how to operate. I need you to understand the why behind what you're doing. We're not putting on kumbaya services. We're not just holding on locations. We're not just going to keep doing this thing. No, we're called to be somebody and do something and step into the future that God has for our life. I wish somebody would get some faith tonight and get some power of the Holy Spirit in their spirit. few weeks ago my my three-year-old I was in the living room just trying to watch the game and we have a endless supply of children in our home and I can hear one of them in the background daddy 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 trying to get my attention daddy daddy and I'm just you know watching the game daddy 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 and then all of a sudden my three-year-old jumps on top of me and he grabs my face. He grabs my face and he goes, Dad, have you seen my toy? I was like, bro, you have 5,000 toys. Like, what? He's like, grab my face. He's like, don't, Dad. Have you seen my toy? I was like, oh my God. Get out of here. It's unbelievable. I, I wish you could understand the importance of what God is trying to say. This is important. Some of you don't know what it's like to be in a spiritual family because your family life is so dysfunctional. So you don't know how to operate within a spiritual dynamic. And God is speaking to you. You're part of something spiritual. You need to choose to lean in. This is, this is why we value the beginning. We started from the bottom and we're still here. We still are thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. You hear what God is saying tonight? God is saying to you and I, this is how we fight our battles. We don't fight against employers and, and, and exes. We, we, we fight against something bigger than ourselves. And God is trying to... This is how and why I'm speaking to you tonight. Amen.